Hi everyone, this is David Wolf. I'm excited to get right into this week's episode of Beyond the Summit, but before we do that, I want to ask you for a little help supporting the show, and it costs absolutely nothing to you except 10 seconds of your time right now. If you could go into the podcast platform that you are listening to this episode on and rate the show with five stars, that would help spread the word and the incredible messages that our guests give to us each and every week. You can leave a comment or review of what you thought about previous episodes or wait to the end of the show and leave your review then. Now look, if you don't like the episode, when you're done, you can go ahead and change your rating as well. That's perfectly fine. But thanks so much again for listening to Beyond the Summit and supporting the podcast each and every week. Welcome to Beyond the Summit, where we journey into the heart of human potential. I am your host, David Wolf. Here, we will engage with extraordinary minds, unlock secrets of success, and discover what fuels happiness in our extraordinary guests. Prepare to be inspired, to grow, and to see beyond your own summit. episode with the brand name of Beyond the Summit. And uh, welcome, all you Paramotor Life people. Now this is Beyond the Summit. Such a cool new name. And a new jingle, Tim. I like it. Did you like the jingle? Yes, I did. All right, good. <laughs> so I'm here with Tim Gaskins. We're still in Mountain City, Tennessee. And it hasn't been a week that we've been here. It's, you know, it's just the recordings are all done here in Mountain City, Tennessee at the Moonshiner Flying. And... Um, how- <laughs> How was your trip in from Georgia? Was it an easy ride for you? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, we went through the mountain roads. Well, once you get past uh, Atlanta and stuff, it was great. But there's still a lot of rain coming up here. And just, you know, some of the crazy drives. But the, the roads are just country roads, friendly people. Yeah, so it was a great ride. I like it. That's awesome. <laughs> Mine was miserable. Mine was absolutely miserable. I finished work, got on the road. It was about a six-hour drive to get here. So I was excited. I was going to get here about 11 o'clock at night. My buddies were waiting up for me to help back the camper in. And rain wasn't projected for another four hours till 3 a.m. And uh, driving on the interstate, little uh, bungee cord strap on the ground with uh, the metal hook went right into the front tire of my truck. And uh, I didn't have all the tools I needed on my truck. That's my fault. Called AAA. They had to make two different trips. Four hours later, I'm back on the road. It's pouring at midnight, wherever I was, which was, oh gosh, Beaver, Beaver, Virginia, also known as Podunk, USA. <laughs> I mean, let me say, the guy that came up from Triple Savannah was the lady on dispatch. Hey, darling. Okay. And you, you do oh, you know, you do know every every year state has got Podunks. I know, I know. I found the one. I found the one in Virginia, <laughs> Savannah. Hi, honey. We'll get that guy right out to you just jiffy. I'm like, all right, cool. And then Dalton shows up, and he's such a nice guy. Let's just say that. Very nice guy. Maybe not the sharpest tool. He had to go back to the to, to his shop to get some more tools, but that's okay. Four hours later, I leave. It's pouring rain there in Beaver at midnight, so for a two-and-a-half, one-hour drive I had, I'm soaked in the truck and just soaked and freezing and chills. I finally pull in. Of course, nobody's awake, and that's when the 
camper starts to make all the uh, uh, squeaking noises as you're turning it. And I'm like, I'm going to wake up everybody here. This is horrible. Ooh, Dave, Dave wasn't up yet. Nobody was here. Nobody was up. Everybody was asleep. I, I was given the gate code, so I snuck in. But uh, yeah, and then it started raining. I'm like, yeah, this setup is going to be happening tomorrow. It's not happening tonight. So there's that. So, well, see, I just, like you said, I had just the opposite. Yours was easy. It was a great ride, just going through the rain and stuff. You had three people directing you and your truck into where to park. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was good for me. Awesome. There are times in your life when people magically fall into them. Uh, people that you didn't expect to have any type of connection with mm-hmm. and... Uh, then you, you you get connected with these people by a, a bigger power, bigger spirit than yourself. And uh, that's that's the relationship that I had about four years ago when I met Tim Gaskins, who's with me now. Uh, Tim's one of those friends that we talk multiple times a week. Oh, yeah. 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 Just to say hi, just to check in. How you doing? All right. <laughs> we We have a race on Monday morning. Who can call the other first? <laughs> That's right. Who's walking their dog first? So whose dog's walking them, as you like to put it? So Tim has got a really amazing history about him and his life. And um, this is uh, this is going to be a, a deep episode. Um, what's also neat, I'll call this part one out of two, because next week, Tim's niece, Sandy, is going to be on the, on, uh, the podcast. Um kind of bouncing back and you know we're going to talk about a lot of stuff we're going to talk about tim's uh military background his work and uh, the biggest change that's uh, affected him in the last couple of years was the moment he found out he had cancer tim has been to me a big success story especially for, for so many different reasons but in this particular reason it's just the positive outlook he's had on life and how he's dealt with cancer and treatments and how that's you know, affected his life and his family's life. I'm I'm praying that somebody out there is going to be listening to this podcast in a similar situation can be inspired by by Tim and, and his progression as well. So yeah, so I'm inspired by other people. You're inspired by well, yeah. we're all inspired by other people, I would hope. But up to me, didn't go, yelling you do this. No, no, let's focus on you. And I said, tell me about you. And then, like Jillian, I just told her a story, and went, wow. Um, and so it gives you something to look forward to. Yeah. So that's... Tim's referring to Jillian from uh, Aviator Paramotor. She's going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks. She's got an amazing story of, of how she's overcome health issues since she was a little girl and to get to where she is today. So where did you grow up? Well, um, let me put it this way. Born in South Carolina um, at the Naval Base. My dad was a Korean Navy guy. Um we were to uh, Florida after a couple of stops, probably when we were about six or seven years old. Um, how many How many children in the family? Seven. Seven kids. Yeah, some some kids. Uh, Sam is the old. She's the she's the you know, the monarch of the other uh, kids. Mm. And we used to have a saying in the neighborhood: "You don't okay, truth. You don't screw with the Gaskins boys because you do then you have to face Santa, and Santa didn't have you know she had claws." And so you go after people to uh, if they touch the, the the brothers, and bully. I watched her tear a guy up to pieces when he punched my brother Rick, and she got a hold of him and 
the guy was screaming for his life, and we never, we literally, we never had to worry about anybody bothering us. The Santa was always around. And here's a, here's a girl that went through issues too. She was the uh, homecoming queen. I mean, she was really pretty stuff. But then I look at her and went, and she's got claws. <laughs> and I'm still scared of her today, and we still love her today. Right, and you're, you have a twin brother named yeah, Bob. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bob and I, um, for the first four years, I guess, after we were born, uh, we, my dad would say we had all language. We People would talk to us and we answer, but then we'd start talking some foreign language that nobody understood. But we'd be the giggle and the laughing and stuff, and people couldn't figure out what was going on. But yeah, we were. We got into a lot of things. Um, we didn't really do anything to hurt people and stuff, but we were very curious about things. Um, even to the point of my parents sent us to a, was a Catholic school and um, where the priest came up, told my dad, said, you know, we love the twins, we really do, but we think it's time. <laughs> you got kicked out of Catholic school. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know, we, we were all the boys and stuff. And I, I just, I, I, one little way I said this, uh, Father Power and Father McGraw were great, you know. Um, and Father Power was doing a service, and that's when you're supposed to, they had little cheat sheet Latin chords, we were kneeling down, and we do that, and they have chimes and all this stuff that the altar boys were supposed to do. And uh, Bob was, you know, sitting next to me, and he was looking at his card, and Father Power was between us doing the ceremony. And Bob, we decided reading the Latin, we went blah, 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 blah. And so Bob McGraw slapped him in the back of the head during grass. And Bob, I, I saw Bob look up at him. I'm like, uh-oh. There's that look. So Bob had the chimes. And this part of the ceremony where he does that, he do some chimes. And um, uh, I was on the other thing I went down. And I'm looking across at Bob and Father Powell is doing the same. He raised his hand. Above, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And the chimes were supposed to be all the to do. Chime like, you know, ding, 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 ding. That's it. Well, Bob's looking at Father Todd, that look, and he does it, and Bob takes the chime, and it lasts like half a minute. <laughs> Father Todd, you know, Father Todd can't move, he's got his hands up, and he's staring at Bob, giving him that look, and Bob's sitting right back, and he stops, and he puts it down, and Father Todd goes in, and they, this happened three times. <laughs> so, we we got done with the mass, I told Bob, I said, look, we gotta get out of here, he's gonna clobber us, so. That's his dear God. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, it was, it was fun. Having a twin, um, my, my brother Bob died from the same cancer that I got. Um, and uh, it can get a good fight and stuff, but uh, um, yeah, but he goes, well, I, I love the thing, he goes, well, what's it like being a twin? And my response was always, what's it like not being a twin? Right. No, I've always been a twin. So you know. I don't know. And uh, we play practical jokes, like Beach Blast, and did, did first Beach Blast. I don't know. Uh, a lot of viewers know, but um, Paul Anthem used to do a video called The Pipichi Moron. And he came down and stayed with me for about a week. And I told my brother, he didn't know I, we had, I had a twin brother at the time. So I told Bob, I said, don't come by, we're going to give him a beach blast. And so uh, Bob had to shave and stuff, but kind of get the same uh, uh, beard I had stuff. And we get down to beach blast. And this is after Paul and a couple of guys stayed with me for a week. And I went up to him and I said, okay. Go, go see how to Paul. He goes, well, I don't know him. I said, I know this exactly what I want you to do. And I was filming it, and I got behind him, and Bob went up, and he goes, hey, you Paul Anthem? Paul gave him kind of look. He goes, yeah, what's it to you? He said, you know, I've always wanted to meet you. And Paul's looking at the other guys, because I think Tim flipped out something was wrong. And I was standing behind Paul, and I said, man, I think this guy's crazy. 
pull up his head. He, I don't know what's going on. I think he's on something. And then he looks at me and he freaks out. He goes, oh my God, you're a torn in. See, mm-hmm. I'd really want this to a couple of people. We used to switch dates in high school. Did you really? Oh God, yeah. You couldn't tell us apart. Ha. And I'm, I'm not going to go into details, but I think I got the better end of the show because I was doing him a favor. So I got the, um, let me say this. I had more fun on the dates than he did. Yes. Yeah, I was, I got to choose who I wanted to go out with. This is before, and before Sue, it was way before Sue. Yeah. So, so and Sue, Sue's my wife, and uh, she's my high school sweetheart. She's my rock. Um, she's my everything. So, and I, I told her after our first date that she was going to be my wife. And, oh, yeah, I knew. I knew it kind of in grade school, but she didn't have any to do with us because, you know, we were on one end of the day and she was at her friends over here and we were, we were known as the rowdy guys. We we played really rough and stuff. And um, when I finally asked her out, she, she took me down, I think it was three or four times. And this was great. She goes, I said, to him, will you go out with me? She goes, oh, I really don't go out with boys like you. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, well, you kind of got a reputation. And I said, no, well, that's my brother Bob. She goes, well, that's my... That's me out. <laughs> so Bob asked her out too. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, so she would go out there. But um, I went. I was in the weight room, and this guy named uh, Jim Giorgio came in. He goes, "Hey, Cassie, this is some girl outside that wants to talk to you." And I walked out. It was soon. She goes, "Look, that's not nice of me." She says, "I'll go out with you." And uh, I was on my best behavior. I mean, I was best behavior. I didn't get anything wrong. And, uh, when the date was over, I, I took up uh, a towel and she said, oh, for which I asked her if I could kiss her. And she said, yes, yeah. so I kissed her. And then, um, as I was walking away, I'm staring at her. And now you understand, I was I was big an athlete, uh, athletics in high school. And I um, loved wrestling. That's my, my passion. But I'm walking away looking at it, and I tripped over water. I was in the tunnel. And my, like, oh, my God, she's never going to talk to me again. I looked up at her, and she's standing sta- on the porch. She goes, I had a very nice time. And I said, thank you. And I walked to him. It's funny, when I got home, my dad was up. And I walked to the door, and he looked at me, and he goes, what's with you? And I said, I thought, I'm totally, because that's all I'm talking about. He goes, I'm looking at your face and your eyes. What's going on? And I told my dad right then, I said, I think I found him. And he goes, what? I said, I think I know I'm going to marry you. He goes, uh, you're crazy. So I called her the next day. I said, can I come over and see you? She said, sure. And I went over and sat on the porch, and I told her, I said, it won't be today. It won't be tomorrow. It'll be when I get out of college. I said, but you're going to be my wife. She goes, I don't think I like you. <laughs> I don't think I like you. Yeah. And she's, we've been together ever since. Well, yeah, but she's, she's everything. And you guys have, and as you well know, she's better at electronics. Oh, yeah. I am. And I'll let you explain that one. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, prior to Beyond the Summit, you know, for three years, we did a YouTube podcast called Paramotor Nation, and, and Tim was my guest once or twice, and it seemed like he just uh, could not figure out how to log in, and we had to keep calling Sue over to uh, to get that all buttoned down. So thank goodness she was there for that. So, so seven kids. Yeah, yeah. And you have how many kids? I got two. That's right. Casey and uh, Daniel. Now, Casey's given me two, or well, Casey and Bear's given me two grandkids. Re- now, it's some plan. I never really told Casey the story about, you know, the first date with Sue. I just... Just really never came up. But Casey met his wife. She was a German foreign exchange student at his high school. He wanted to meet her, so he learned three phrases in German. 
And when she came out of one of the classrooms, she spoke to a gentleman, and uh, her name was Bill. She told me, uh, I fell in love with him right then. Mm. He, used to, he was the only one who spoke German to me. And so they'd been together since, but he, he came up to me one day and he goes, Dad, don't be mad at me. I said, what's up? And he goes, I joined the army, and I was in the league for you know, 25 years. So, And I said, well, yeah, I kind of figured you could be the army or the uh, you know, force. He goes, well, why would you say that? I said, well, Casey, you don't have basis in Germany. And he goes, well, how would you know that? So it's kind of a, a you know, you need to grow, you need to learn about the military a little more. I said, you'll find out, but he went over and, and here he went to him and did his time in Iraq. And I'll give you a little story about about that a little bit later. He married her. She, they stayed over in Germany because she was in school. It was being nurse. She became a nurse. And then she got accepted to medical school in Germany. So she uh, was in medical school for about four years. Uh, and they do it different than what we do in the States. So now they do it. They send them out to like, as they go to school, they'll send them like to the emergency room. And they, they practice, uh, as I call practice of medicine, they practice in uh, the emergency room. And then she went to pediatrics and then like psychiatry. Well, she finished at the top of the class and they gave her a choice. You want to be a surgeon? And she said, no, nah, I don't really like blood. And then they said, well, how about pediatrics? She goes, I love the children. I hate the parents. <laughs> and then she said, I'm on psychiatry. And she loves it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the, uh, they do. And matter of fact, I'm up here at the flying with Dave. My grandbabies are back at my house. Wait, oh, boy, they, I already made this commitment. But, yeah. Yeah. But um, it's been, this has been a nice rest, believe it or not. Yeah. Because the grandbaby's up at 6.30 in the morning and there's no off button. They don't go to bed till late, and they don't take any naps. So, how many grandchildren total? Two, just okay. those two. So, and you and Sue have been married for how many years? Almost fifty. Almost fifty. Well, this come up one fifty years. How, how many years of marriage did your folks have? Fifty-five. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and so uh, a lot of people have marriage uh, challenges. Yep. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you a second to think about this. As far as what advice would you give somebody who is getting married? And I'll share this with you while you're thinking about that. Uh, two days before my wedding, I went to a cut above uh, Cedar Center in Cleveland. That's where I, from a kid, from a little boy, I would always get my hair cut at the same place with Jimmy, my barber Jimmy. You know, And uh, so I go in two days before my, my wedding to get my hair cut. And I sit down in my second seat that I always sat down in. And there's this very, very elderly man in the first seat. And Jimmy goes, hey, everybody, Dave's getting married this weekend. There was a, and man sitting in the seat next to me, he goes, young man, I have been married for 58 years. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. He goes, do you want to know this? And he, as he's telling this, he's holding up his crooked bony finger, right? He goes, would you like to know the secret to a happy marriage? And it feels like, and like Jimmy's looking at me like, wow, this is going to be good. And I feel like I'm in a movie, like this profound moment. He's going, you know, would you like to know the secret? I'm like, well, absolutely. What is it? He goes, shut up. Just shut up and you'll be fine. I'm like, wow. Okay. Yeah. And there's another secret to it. <laughs> yes. You're right. You're right. And walk away. <laughs> yes, dear. The good thing for me is watching my mom and dad, you know, they'd argue and stuff like that, but the love was always there. And that was great growing up as a kid. And, you know, some of my siblings, uh, Bob was married three times. And he asked me, he goes, 
I don't know how you did it. How did I said, let's well, pick the right one that's put the, the first time. Bob's, he was still very good friends with his exes. Um, and then the third wife, she used to be my admin officer. And when uh, I gave command up, you know, since she was no longer on me, I introduced her to my with Bob because Bob came to live with me one time uh, after he had a divorce. He goes, I think I'm going to have to live with you. And I said, oh, hell no. Shit. I said, no, no, I'm going to fight you somebody. And so I introduced him to Melinda. And that's where Sandy came from. Right. So it just worked out great. I remember the first day he had with Melinda. Uh, we were watching the, the kids. He brought with them. And uh, they went out. He showed up like five o'clock the next morning. I'm getting ready to go into work. And he shows up. I'm looking at him. And he goes, I've known her all my life. I just didn't know her. And I looked at the seal and I said, oh boy, and then we were, I had a pontoon boat and when we were stationed in South, uh, South Carolina, Beaufort, South Carolina, and we were out in a pontoon boat, and <laughs> she goes, oh my God, they're like rabbits in heat. He goes, they're all over each other on the boat. I told him, I said, I, told him, I, said, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. You show it the love, but hey, I don't have a color for this boat, okay? <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Sandy, when she hears this podcast, will be so proud. <laughs> so, um, but you know, my secret is that it's seriously, it's it's a fifty fifty thing. We have to work with each other. Um, you're not always right. Sue is, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's just you know, it, I, I I always did the thing, and I always believe this. I never went to bed mad. I always tried to say, you know, but we had a, an argument like that. We talked out before we went to bed. That was it, and. Now, can you you me this morning? One thing is, uh, whenever I'm awake, I'm a, I call every night to tell I love them tonight, and I call every morning to tell you know I love them good morning. And the only time I didn't do that was when I was either like in the Amazon jungle doing college job work, where you didn't have good phone service. We actually didn't have cell phones back then, mm-hmm. or overseas where you didn't have that stuff, and she could be with me. I always found some way to try to get a message to her. Just you know, you know, I just. I got lucky. I, I got lucky. Look, trust me, I definitely married up. Okay, but I kind of teased it and told you know, well, I brought you up, and she'll she'll laugh and, and but a sense of humor. You got to have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I like practical jokes mm-hmm. and and pull things from people as, as long as it doesn't hurt them. So yeah, yeah, but yeah. So marriage has been great. Yeah, I'll tell you, my my biggest role model, and I know I'm going to have him on the podcast at some point, is my father-in-law Jerry. And you've met Jerry. Beautiful marriage, him and his wife, 50 years before we lost her a couple of years ago, Linda. And uh, what I, I what I learned from watching him is giving so much more of yourself, expecting nothing back and just doing it all for her. And when I really started to understand that, that's when I think my marriage became so easy. Yeah. So easy and so full of love. I mean, I always loved my wife, but it's just like, we never argue. Well, in my eyes, we never argue. I don't know if you ask her that, she might say something different. She keeps me in line, though. That's a, She's a good lady. Yeah. But just getting more of yourself, is, is, it seems the happiness just, she gets, she's happy and it reflects back on you. You know, one thing I found out how, um, how tough, uh, wife stuff, especially being in the military, you know, military spouses, is when I was deployed, you know, she had to take care of the kids and stuff. And I remember when I went over for the first Gulf War, you know, trust me, I was, it did not worry me one bit. 
I was not afraid at all the only time. Yeah, I, I found out one thing to be in you know, a war situation. You find out how many people come to God real fast. Because when the, stud, the schedule all went off, that there was scheduling bound, all these guys that were big, tough, would always cuss up, ruin on, oh God, oh God, oh God. Uh, yeah. oh, oh, now you believe. And yeah, now. Yeah, but uh, they left that. But one thing I learned over there is when I was older there, I'm excited to worry about because I knew what all the training was. And we knew what they were like. Do some basic, yeah, get some about, but I was never really concerned about my safety over there because of the training we went to. What I didn't think about was, and the other thing I really thought about, and I was to leave Sue enough that she had enough you know, money to take care of kids and the house could be okay while I'm going all that. What they had never, ever thought about was, how did she feel about me being over there? Until my son Casey went over for the second Gulf War. And I mean, I was on pins and needles. Uh, I'd, I'd be watching the news you know, just to get a glimpse of them and stuff. Uh, There's hard sleep at night and stuff. And I looked at Sue one time and I said, man, this is the hardest thing I'll make to just not knowing she, she, I know. And I said, you know what? And she goes, what you're saying? And I said, oh, okay. She goes, yeah, I'm going through it before. And I said, when did you go through it before? And she goes, oh, I don't know, Tim, when you're down in the Amazon jungle for six months, mm-hmm. if I mean, when you're over in the Gulf War, when you were doing this, she goes, I was always worried about you. I never thought about who was about me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I said to her, God, I just didn't realize that now she's worrying about Casey yeah. and how tough she is. And that, that's a big thing. She, she had a little wrong, but you knew it was like that. And I just, wow. And that's why I always tell uh, the, the vets and stuff like this. And, you know, we think, oh, people think as far as those, they also need to think the spouses you know, because they go through so much and put up with so much. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I want to go back and talk about you getting into the Marines. How, so a couple things. How old were you when you got into the Marines? Talk about your progression through the rankings. Okay. I would like to hear about this Amazon jungle and if there's any other crazy things that happened. Yeah. And uh, I guess how did the family, well, I mean, you were obviously dating Sue when you decided to enlist, right? I know, actually, we were married. You were married then? Yeah. I, um, well, what happened was, um, and again, I'm going to blame this one, Brother Bob, we were uh, in uh, gym college. And he walks up to me and he goes, well, I'm, I'm, I'm heading up to uh, Jacksonville. And I said, where do you want to Jacksonville? Well, Jacksonville, uh, Florida. He goes, well, like, you know, we're in the West End of the, uh, in the Marines. I got to go there for my fist and all that stuff. Now, I went, are you freaking nuts? I said, what's wrong with you? And, uh, you know, yeah, my dad and my brothers were all crew Navy, except for my brother, Rick. He went to Rick for two years. You know, the hierarchy of the Gaskins kids is the Sandra. And there was Mark, Navy, Steve Navy. Rick went in the Marines for two years, then myself, Bob, and JB, and JB went in the Army. So we got most of it covered. I, I tried to talk him out of it, and I knew I couldn't talk him out of it. I said, okay, I got to go up with him. I can't let him do this by himself. And so we went out then and basically got enlisted, you know, did, did cash stuff. I didn't, oh, I guess the, the priest didn't sign off on his recommendation for you guys? No, no. no. But he did say, well, you know, we had to activity, so. Yeah, that's, you got him. You <laughs> got him. But um, why we were there, um, that this, uh, it was Cap Moikasham. I'll never forget it. He walked up and he goes, well, what are you guys doing? And this is, you know, basically when Vietnam was winding down. It's still going up there. It's winding down. You know, we, you know, we told him doing it. He goes, hey, if you guys going to college? And I said, well, yeah, we're both in junior college. He goes, well, 
um, instead of going to get a list of drinks, and I said, well, are you, are you there? And you say, I can get you out of that. I want you to the officer program. Bob goes, well, why would I do that? My dad was enlisted. My brother's enlisted. Why would we go be an officer? He goes, well, there's more money. Bob goes, oh, okay. He goes, didn't look at that palace. Now look at so we joined up into the PLC program. So I didn't have to do the reserve with the with the in the enlist support. Well, we went to the PLC program. We go to Summers, William College, up to like Camp Upshur and Quantico, and basically go through on what if two leaders class to become an officer. And then once you graduate from that, um, when you graduate from college, the day you graduate from college, you get sworn in. And, uh, and then you send you up to what they call the TBS, the basic school. This, this is how my career started. Went to TBS, and there was a Captain Bill Captain Bill Depp, really good guy, really good guy. I liked him a lot. We didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. The first day we were there, uh, they changed the Marine Corps change uniform a couple of times. So what we had at boot camp and stuff, we couldn't wear. So I was in at me civilian clothes till. Yeah, we could buy uniforms and in we call the officers buy the uniforms, not like so we get a source really issuing to them. And Sue and I were dead broke. I mean, it and I'm not kidding if we could afford a, a 25 six um McDonald's hamburger, we were rich that day. That's how broke we were. And we had to buy all these uniforms. And thank God they had this layaway system that we do that, we trade all the time. But so we're sitting in the first day, I where they were kept dead, the way Samuels. Gentlemen, you go, gentlemen, just to let you know, he was today, you know more than any list of man alive. And I'm sitting back in, I'm looking over, I see this sword major, and I, when my corporate and military family, like, Dad, when he, when he retired out of the Navy, we retired attached to the Air he was a, a Navy detachment there. And they came up to him the day he retired and said, Hey, Chief, we want to um, start a yacht club, would you be interested? And so we went away from that to start the Patrick Air Force Base Yacht Club. So all those kids uh, worked there. I'm going to rest a little bit, but that was a great quote up there because I got to meet, meet you, Mitchell, seven astronauts. Met a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of big series. And one of my claims to fame is when they had one of the space shots, Ed McMahon, the guy used to meet Johnny Carson, so I kicked him down. And um, we had a guy that gave us these pamphlets and a picture of this Saturday rocket and and stuff like that. We were selling them. We were supposed to sell them like two fifty to almost fifty cents a piece. To say you were here and had little things, and we got to keep fifty cents. We had to give this guy, you know, the rest of the money. Well, there's a place called the Wolf Trap down near Cocoa Beach. And that's all I was walking down. And I saw this guy walking. I didn't know who he was, but I recognized him. And I said, I said, I know he's important. He's got a whole bunch of guys. Around. So I went right up to him, got in between him, and he's sitting there. And I said. So I said, this is only him. I'm selling this. You know, try to you know, make a little money. And, and um, I said, this shows you. And he goes, a uh, fine kid. He goes, he looks at one of his, his entourages, I guess his handlers go. And he goes, well, pay the kid. I knew I had a, some guy go for how much? I said, 20 bucks. But I had to do 20 bucks. Oh, my goodness. So I, I gave that guy his $2. And I kept the rest of it. Yeah. So... He was on TV, and my dad was sitting there one time, and he goes over to us, and I said, that's the guy, Matt. And he goes, Ed McMahon? Well, where were you? you know, oh, I didn't know he was a Marine. Oh, yeah, yeah. And once we'd always a Marine, so I say, full active duty, there's no ex-Marines. But I said, yeah, so it was Ed McMahon, and then on, 
just don't know all this. I don't. We, we saw the yacht club. We didn't have a um, call it a stack bar or anything in it, but the golf course was right next door to it. So we, whatever we'd got, we worked. Dealt my father at the yacht club. At lunchtime, we'd always go go to the golf course to get hamburgers pre-packed. Well, Bob went on Tuesday to work with my dad, and they would say that well, the vice president of the United States was there, and he went in and Bob was in uh, at the, the grill ordering the hamburgers and. The vice president came in and said, how are you doing, boy? And I guess talking, and it was fine. Keep back. I learned later, but so I worked on Wednesday. And I go over Wednesday, and I'm sitting in, he comes in from playing golf, and he looks at me, he goes, hey, son, good to see you again. And I said, so I don't think I've ever met you. I don't really have my name, the vice president was. And he goes, son, I was here with you yesterday. I said, no, you were not. So we went on a minute, and he goes, son, I know. I said, oh, oh, oh. That was my identical twin brother. I understand what's going on now. That was my identical twin brother. He goes, what? And I said, yeah, you have my brother Bob. So when I got the packet, he goes, wait a minute, son. He grabbed a napkin and he wrote something on a napkin. And he goes, you tell your dad that was a good one. And I said, yes, sir. No, I'm back to it. My, my dad and I sit down and we eat. And I pulled the napkin out and I put it on the table. And my dad's looking at it and he picks it up and he reads this. And he looks at me and he goes, you just met the, president, the vice president of the United States. And I said, how? He looked at me, he goes, you, you met the, for the vice president of the United States. And I said, oh, that's who that was. And so he kept the napkin and stuff. But um, he had a nice day. He goes, what's it? Agnew. And then that's when he, he um, basically got, had to resign. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up there with my dad. So I had a great, 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 um, great, you know, for meet the people and, and all that stuff. Let's go through, like, how you started oh, ranking up. Um, so, got in, got in the Marines. Oh, I got to go back to it. So, when he said, uh, at that point, we knew anything. We knew more than the A-list man wide. I'm looking over at the Sergeant Major, and, went, and, and he's got a chest full of ribbons, so like that. I'm like, I know how to slip. That's not it. Really, I don't know that much. And so, I raised my hand. I'm in back, and he goes, yes. And I said, he goes, what's your name? I said, Tim Gaskins. He goes, Lieutenant Gaskins. I said, well, okay, Lieutenant Gaskins. I said, Captain, you said, I know more than any recent man in life. I said, I know, and I quote, I said, I know how to wipe my ass and slip. That's about it. And he goes, go to my office. So I thought we were going to go in and have some, you know, door or something like that. So I was sitting down, and he comes in, he goes, get up. And I stand up, and he starts, how dare you, you know, challenge me in front of my platoon. I said, am I not part of your platoon? He goes, is this going to go? And I said, well, so I'm not sure where it's going to go, but, you know, if I don't agree with you, I'm going to let you know. That's how my course started off. You got it. And it went through like that, and I can tell you, the thing that got me through the Marine Corps. Where do I feel, hold on. Why do I feel like he was about to say the same thing that your your your, your priest said? Maybe you need to find another place to be. <laughs> no, no. I, I, He's following you around. I, I love the meeting Marines. But one thing I, uh, what my dad taught me is he said, if you weren't successful, you take care of the people underneath you. You just never forget people underneath you. And that's, literally, that's how I went to the week, one week, the week called career. But a lot of people in there that, you know, just kind of wondering how they could walk and chew gum at the same time. The guys underneath me got it. My NCOs, my staff NCOs, and Staff Sergeant McNatt was my first uh, individual I met when I got sent to Oklahoma for the first time. And, 
the best way to do it, bring your butterballs, send lieutenants, and your small boys to check in at the unit after the TBS and stuff at the same time. And it was Skip Hudson, uh, was a major. Yeah, he was a major. And he was the XL. And he was giving us what they call clatter duties. My primary job was I was near defense control, uh, aviation, so we got, you know, do flying stuff, but I was near defense control with dealing with the radars, the Hawk missiles, and paint. Well, they wouldn't take your memory again, but all this stuff, dabbling system. So that's what I get. Right, yeah. He, we all four of us lined up there, and he was giving us what they call clatter duties. So our primary duty was near defense. Our clatter duties, so it's like, you had to be the uh, uh, U.N. Affairs also. You had to be the admin also, stuff like this. And I became the force head also, which was for force readiness. And the, um, the uh, like MW officer through the police Well, Skip Hudson one day sat there, and, and as he's looking at us, off over the sea, he goes, I need an airbox officer. Well, you're a little bit about airbox, but he didn't want anything to do with it. And so... I was sitting, and I put my, they can't see this, but I put my hand up pointing to the next guy next to me where they couldn't see it. So I said, look, he kind of smiled at me. He looked at the next guy with Jack Reese, and he looked down, and he saw me, so he did it. And he kind of smiled, and he looked over at J.T. McNeil, and he looked at me, and he's pointed at a guy named Marty Galshin, who's real stuffed up, and he goes, Lieutenant Galshin, I think you'd be a perfect ball culture. <laughs> he goes, yes, sir. And so we're giggling. So he got the inbox all of a sudden, he's supposed to inbox. Job went very good, but long story short, I remember the two points. So when I went into the, the office to meet Stas on the map for the first time, he introduced himself, and next to him was Gary Huff, big German guy, white hair, been in Marine Corps for I think it was 24 years, and he was the airball chief. And as I walked in, I met Stas on the map, and he goes, Matilda, there's, there's a couple ways for me to do this. You listen to me, and we're going to do great, and you'll do great. Well, we can do it your way, and I'll watch you flood them. I said, lead on gun, uh, lead on staff audit. Now, one thing is staff audit, Matt and I follow our career. You know, we'd be stationed at places, say base, but I would. Gal should walk in, and Gunny Elf goes, you know, we got to, we're getting ready to go to Korea for an exercise, so we got to talk about embark. And he goes, so if you sit down, I'll go with this. And, Galshin looked at him and he goes, Guy, he goes, I'm a lieutenant. You know, Guy, he goes, If I want you to buy, so I'll ask you. He goes, But I'm going to lunch and when I get back home, my name put it painted on my foot locker. And he walked out and I'm looking at this guy and Guy, he looks over the steps on me now. He goes, We're trading. That goes, Oh, no, we're not. She, but so, steps on that actually followed our career up to the Marine Corps together to different bases. We always stayed in touch. Guy, how? There was one of them. One thing you don't want to do is, um, when you're a butterball or a second lieutenant, you don't know or not. You're a nugget. You don't know anything. You just, you, what you really need to do is sit back, shut up, and listen. Just like marriage. Just like marriage. <laughs> right? And um, so uh, he, uh, he painted, with Galshit saying, what he does, he put big gold bars on it in real small print, Galshit. And everybody walked in and was laughing at houses all. I mean, it was an insult. Galshit walks in, and the CO walked in, called Good Lake. It's amazing I can remember these names, but in what started, but he walks in, he looks down, and he starts giggling, and he looks over at me, he goes, Lieutenant Gaskins, this is this, sir. And he goes, who she was? I said, Stas on me, Nat. 
And he goes, did they try to trade? Because he knew what was going on. I said, yes, sir. And he goes, did Gunny Hawk uh, get it? He goes, that's all so good. Over my dead body, so <laughs> said, I'm listening to this, this is great. Gal, she walks in, he looks at the foot lock and he goes, that's fine, Gunny, I like that. And I mean, everybody, even all the old officers, rolling their eyes going, what a dumb. <laughs> so now Marty was a really nice guy. He just, he was just too serious. I mean, I, like I said, the inbox didn't go well. He, one thing in the inbox is, first in is last off on a ship. So he loaded all the cold weather stuff, tents, I mean, not tents, but cold weather gear, stoves, all this stuff. We were going to Korea and Poang, dead of winter. I mean, it's freezing, it's cold. I got a joke for that, too. And I'll joke, but I got a story for that. But um, we get there, we get there, and, and cool and good lakes up there, we're freezing, and we're like, where's the damn stove? Where's all, where's all, all stuff? It's in the back of the boat. Yeah, and, and got yell off, said, he goes, oh, so that'd be on the back of the boat, because that's what Lieutenant Galshin's doing it. So we all got back on the, the, uh, the cattle cars, went back down to the port, and Gal ship was on the deck, and unfortunately, he was trying to help the deck hands. When a 53 was lifting our water, buffalo up, and he got slammed on the deck and broke his arm and got sent home. But Good Lake was about throwing up. He goes, that's the lieutenant that did this. So that was Marty's brain. But like I said, Marty was a really good guy. He was just, he was just kind of overstressed. Okay, so I'd learned real fast. You take care of you, and they'll take care of you. Uh, it really came to the point when I'm still a butterball, and we had this, these two Marines, they were away from a formation on Saturday morning. Now, one was that just happened to be white, and one happened to be black, nothing like that, but this is when they had some racial relation things going on. And the 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 white sergeant ruled downtown with his wife, but they won for team of power, and he had an electric clock, and he showed up exactly 57 minutes late. When we had the formation, he thought he was on time, and he couldn't figure out what was going on. He was a great Marine. The other Marine, um, they call him Dark Marine, so he was black. He was a nice guy, but he was a kind of a screw-up. Well, he showed up, and we were in front of the, the called Good Lake for the office hours. And had Skip Hudson in there, who was the XO, he had the sword major, who was also identical twin, but it happened to be a black wig, and Sergeant, Sergeant Major Smith, they could ward the man. Um, he is a picture of what a Thorsa Marine looks like. You know, jaw arms, skinny waist, a face that would scare the living shit out of If anybody was doing this up, but he can be kind as baby. But he never talked to the lieutenant, the second lieutenants. Because he said they didn't know nothing to it. Well, we're sitting in office hours. Well, cool, good, like, God, you confused on Hibbler's Hill and do them look at, at uh, the white sword and let the other guy off. And I'm sitting there and and he goes, I can't dismiss. And I'm shaking my head. He could, like, goes, well, you said, what's wrong? I said, well, that was a f***ed up position. And he looked at me like I was nailed. And Skip Hudson grabbed me and pulled me out of the office and the sergeant major. And good, like, yelling, teach that so the attack. And on, I looked at him. I said, well, what's wrong? And he said, you know, say, you can't talk to the CEO like that. I said, but it was a up decision and skip us it was ringing i said and i explained to him he goes oh god so he went back in talked to him good like y'all went back in and and he goes jelly goes that was my fault i messed up you're the one that's get me off salad and you know getting demoted and rank and lost you're the one just just 
you know, is on probation like that. And I said, great. So I started to walk out, and he goes, not so fast, Lieutenant. And I kind of, like, screwed up, and so I'm sitting there. And he looked at you, Lieutenant. He goes, I admire you for what you did, but don't wish you would ever, ever tell me how to up again. Yeah. I said, okay. Well, I walk out, and Skip Preston gets this, and get a good, a this, Lipka, and Fred Schofield, two first lieutenants. I think I'm still the butt ball. And he goes, teach his boy some tack. And I thought you Fred Schofield, and I went, tack? And he goes, I'll tell you, Ted, but sword rage, wrap me the gentleman before you get him, I get him. I was scared to death. And then, oh my God, sword mate, just, he said something to me. I'm, I'm a dead man. Well, you in my office, Lieutenant. I really thought I was going to get my ass pounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, crap. And he walked in, he closed the door, and he goes, Lieutenant, he gets up and he shakes my hand. And he goes, when did you learn that? And I said, learn what sort of major? And he said, you stood up for your Marine. And I said, but that's my dad. He told me if I take care of my Marines, he'll take care of me. And he goes, okay, you're going to go fall. This is sort of major. I pushed up in the him. Like I said, I found a user, you know, a dead of 22. Well, about a week later, um, sort of major comes up to me. He goes, Lieutenant, you're going with me up to uh, uh, Northern Park, the island. I said, yes, sir. And he goes in the but like he goes, I'm taking no tell with me. You got any problems with that? There's no sergeant major. And I mean, we really, sergeant major, you have a lot of respect for sergeant major and me. They, they respect your officers and stuff. But when they talk, you want to listen to them, you know, because they have a lot of knowledge, they have a lot of background, and they really, they have the go between between the officer corps and the enlisted corps. And you really listen to this guy. So we're driving up there. And we get up to the club, up to this club at the Camp Hanson. I walk in as soon as I walk in. He goes in first. I see this fist come flying across, knocks him down. The guy jumps on, and they're, they're fighting like that. And I realize that's his twin brother. And I look at him, I said, man, this is just like my family. That's what we used to do. And then when I got done, he goes to the sergeant major. He goes, Lieutenant, I wanted to meet you. My, my brother, he was a sergeant major, too, of the mm. club system. And they grew up in the recorder. They got the hottest stuff. So and that's kind of why I started off, and we point out my career started off. Okay. Did you and did yours and Bob's paths separate? Yeah, Bob never went in Marine Corps. Okay. He, um, thank God, just he would have been in prison. <laughs> he went through the boot camp and stuff, but he decided he had to finish college because we took if you take money and stuff, you committed. And well, I was already committed because I finished college before he did, and um, yeah, I raised my hand, got sworn in, but I was delayed like two months to go to basic school. Well, Bob, my dad called me one day. He goes, what you doing? And I said, well, I'm saying it was silly. He goes, I don't like you said. And he goes, Bob dropped out of college. And so I knew he wasn't going to go in. And I went, son of a bitch. Because when I graduated out of college, I had a job with puppets. Can I work for puppets? Well, I got a scholarship. Did them to go to college. I had a job offer for SeaWorld. Um, where, where I was at Dennis. That was called University of Central Florida. The biggest college in Florida. Yeah. And what I would do is call it FTU. And that's also how I let, met Leslie Britt. We were flying. She had a, um, you know, it was just Central Florida hat on. And I said, where's that? She told me. I said, oh, I went to school then. But my school was called Florida Technological University. And she goes, oh, yeah, I saw one of those old, old books in the library. <laughs> uh, old books? I found out they had changed names to that. But I, I knew that he wasn't coming in. So after we finished college stuff, and it was delayed, I just got in, and I thought I was only going to be there for two years because, like I said, I had I had all the career opportunities, and like with SeaWorld, 
we got me on that when I was at University uh, well, at FTU, for, for Technological University. We, I was in the business part of the school, and they asked someone to do a survey for see what was being built at the time. And that would teach them to build an amphitheater. So uh, my professor said, you're in charge of it. You put it all together, and you, you, you get a pre -fund. And so we did a big, um, big survey, and then went out and to the public, and he didn't go. He was all stacked, and I had to pre executives of SeaWorld. The thing was, yes, you need to build it, and your first guest needs to be John Denver. Hmm. And they built it. Guess who the caboose guest was? Uh, John Denver? Yeah. Oh, wow. And um, so after that, I got a, I got a job offer from SeaWorld. And the guy told me, I said, I'm going to recall. I said, I'm going to get committed. But the other one was with Publix. Since I was in Marketing, they wanted me to go up to Lakeland and be in the marketing department. And I got to meet Bud Lew, who was a unit found, new resource often, and George Jenkins, who was a founder of Publix. Big guys, and I always said, and I was talking to Mr. Jenkins. I said, Yeah, I really love Publix. I'd like to stay with him, but I'm going to my country first. It popped over to you. And he was so, he was so nice. He goes, Tim, he goes, you serve the country. He goes, I admire you, but he goes, but no matter what, whenever you get back, you decide you'll always have a job at Publix. And I got a, I got a letter still from George Jenkins that says, whenever he wants a job, he will be hired by Publix. And he said, So, you said, how many years in the Marines? 25. 25 years. Yeah, okay. it was over time, so yeah. And you went up through Lieutenant Colonel, correct? Yep, Lieutenant Colonel. I was actually selected for Colonel when they turned it down. Wow, that's right. I remember you telling me that a long time ago. Yeah. So, what do you think, in your 25 years with the Marines, what was the most profound moment or event that happened to you? Well, besides Sue, always being there, stuff. A couple of the officers uh, over me that took care of me, but one in particular is Al Young. Or call me Al Young. Believe it or not, I still talk to him to this day. He calls me. He called in last week to see how I was doing. I called him. His wife, Goody. When I was a first lieutenant, uh, I was put in charge of what they call the Tactical Air Command Center. It's a senior agency within the Marine Air Command Control System. And it's a general's basically headquarters when we were deployed doing that stuff. It's a lieutenant colonel's billet. And uh, the major that was there, you could you know, drop one, had to leave, he got transferred. So I was the next basically senior guy there that had experience there. And we would get ready to come up for a big exercise. And Colin Younger was, I gotta tell you, I met Colin Younger. He was just got uh, promoted to Colonel, but when I met him, I was doing a, what they call a data link. And he came over the day before, he took over the group to get briefed. Well, he was supposed to be briefed by Major Davis. Major Davis wasn't there. He walks in and he goes, I'm telling you, but a brief. And I looked at him, I said, Court, you're gonna have to wait on my middle of a data link. I can't stop. And the sergeant major was there, and he goes, son, you don't know who I am. I said, don't say you're so I'm Coley Uncle. The book is typically Uncle. And I said, glad to meet you. She said, well, I can't, I can't breathe you right now. You, he, I said, you know, schedule me, you breathe till tomorrow anyway. And he walked away. Mm -hmm. Sergeant major came back about an hour later with the group, group sergeant major, because he was getting, get the new group sergeant major coming in, and your group sergeant major. He came in, and he comes up and he goes, well, tell me, shake your hand. I sure his hand goes, you just told the new commander that you won't go brief because it wouldn't hit his time. And I said, I didn't know I'm in the middle of a data link. I can't shut it down. This is 
At the time, it was the biggest debt leak where all we, we watched everything from, well, I can tell, can do or if they was on. Bro, we just got hushed. <laughs> we don't have clearance for that information. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, uh, he goes, well, he takes Lieutenant, he goes, Fulio, who was very impressed that you had about, and uh, he kept on the next day, and I gave him the briefer stuff, but what really got me with Cole Young, and I had some great CEOs, Cole Jones, Larry Groves was that pretty fantastic. Um, Cole Groves, uh, likewise, but Cole Young, um, to the lieutenant, all the um, Tim Cole's billet, when everybody said, we're doing this major exercise, and they, why well, I said, we'll bring this guy in to, to, to do it, and there's, there's, there's this foreign captain, they always, was just kind of a brown nose, said, I'll do it. Cole Younger sat in front of this um, meeting and he said, no, I'm going to stick with Lieutenant Gaskins. The confidence that gave me in what he did was unbelievable. It was a huge success. Um, not me, Trophy. It was not me. It was the guys that are needing soldiers doing solid and uh, I mean, all the guys that are needing, the, the, the kids, the, the junior officers, they are the ones that did it. You know, if, if someone says, well, it was me, I did it, you, you have no clue. It's the people underneath you that's doing it. And you just check them and let them do the job and support them. You know, that's what does it, you know. And um, so after that, after that, um, Cole Gibson uh, came in and, uh, with Jules, Jules Smith because this is his command post. And he walked in and he, Gibson was doing a, what they call a force readiness. And he walks over and he said, we're doing this. And Corey Younger said, Lieutenant Gaspins. And he went, no, no, no. The shady said, Lieutenant Gaspins. And uh, Joe Smith came over and shook my hand. And I started following you through. We over in Okinawa, we said, he goes, I want Lieutenant Gaspins on my taxi. And I said, I don't know, so I want to go back and control squad. And he goes, I didn't ask you, Lieutenant. Now it's Captain, because I didn't ask you, Captain. I'm telling you, you and my tax said got a frap. So, but Coney Elder did and still needs such confidence and stuff that it really helped me. But the biggest thing is we became, especially at Bush, but he was like a father that you typically besides my own father. And I remember when um, I got selected to go to infantry school for the school, I was a, I was a personal tenant, and that's a major spot. And so I went up there as a, as a, as a cap. Well, I was a cap, I showed him, so I'm sorry, I was a cap. It's a major spot, and it's a bad handicap. And um, I didn't know how I got spiked for it, but um, when I went to check out of the group, Cooney uh, I went in to see him. Now, Cooney is about as, as statue. I mean, we're kind of both same height as some, but he is a tough old broad. I'm a guy, he was a tough guy, but he got up, and he came around, he gave me a big hug, and he was actually had a tear in his eye. He goes, son, it's been a pleasure, I mean, so, but we, we, we've been close ever since. And then his, his wife, Goody, got the same cancer I got. Kind of tell you something about where we've been and we recorded stuff, what we, what we held and stuff. And that's, and that's, I wanted to talk about that next. And, and, and we would probably have, that's what inspired me is that people agree with took him, but a lot of guys don't need me. And it led me to my career. So up until this point of this podcast, you know, the two big learning points that I get you are... Number one, you take care of the people below you and they will take care of you. It's just not in the Marines. That's in business. That's in life. Yeah. 
and I, that's how you get so much support from people. Yeah, I don't. I, I shouldn't really use the thing below me. I should say the people I, I work with. Yeah, yeah. You may be the boss, but I always look at people on the same level. And then the second thing is standing up for yourself really impresses other people. Well, you got to be true to yourself. Sure. Um, like what Dad taught me. You know, if you don't tell a lie, you'd have to worry about telling a story. Yeah. You, you remember what you had to tell people. That's right. So now backtracking. The cancer. Tell me about the moment that you heard, Tim, you have cancer. It was right after I saw Bruce Arian, who, you know, die of cancer. I was at his bedside. Um, and he got, uh, Jeff Goat, those guys used to give him a jacket out called Going Above and Beyond. Well, actually, I knew before that. But I was with Bruce, and I saw I saw Bruce to Bruce's band up on the one. He got me into PPG with the great friends and stuff. But there's so many so many joys, so many friends, so many adventures. Doing all PPG, but when I saw him one day, we're up behind him, I looked at him. I'm, Bruce, you've lost some weight. He goes, Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get you know, I want to get lighter. And then I saw him about two weeks later, and I, I went up to him and said, you know, with this whole bunch of guys around us, come over here by behind my truck. Look behind my truck. I said, okay, look, you've lost a lot of weight. I said, I'm not dumb. I said, what's going on? And he, he made me promise. He goes, you can't tell anybody. He goes, I got cancer. He goes, uh, we're, we're trying to figure out what it is, but basically the lungs and stuff. So for six months, I couldn't tell anybody because I made a promise to him. But then I finally told him, I said, look, you got to tell the rest of the guys. You know, they, they ask him, and I can't keep doing this. And so we broke it down, but I, I found that out. And then when I found out he was really bad, I went, go, I went to go see him. He was, he was in his bed and stuff. And you know, I, I said, yeah, I'm going to go down to, to Beach Flash. And, and now in between this, I got a call. And I saw what Brewston was going through. I get this call because I wouldn't, I, I, I was doing um, a pipe job up in Ohio. I was I on to do it by my own inspector for pipe jobs. I started noticing stuff, something going on. The way I was feeling, some other, I don't even get into details, but when you, you saw things, you looked at, you said, that shouldn't look like that. And so I went to the doctor, and they said, we don't know. So I told the guys I was working with at this, and I got to go from something's going on, I got to go see some. So I went down to the DA, thank God, on that Dr. Cassani, who worked in it, used to work at MD Anderson, and Dr. Hawk, who was the oncologist, she used to work at MD Anderson. But they were working for Emily, working with the BA down in Atlanta. And we went to testing on Friday. And um, that was on Tuesday. On Friday, I got a call from Dr. Sonic. And she said, um, uh, Mr. Gasset, this Tim. She was Tim. She was, um, it's cancer. I said, Now, I, I got to tell you something. Uh, when she said it, I said, Okay, okay, so what do we do? And she said, Well, it's bowel duct cancer. And I said, okay. I didn't know what, what she meant. She gave us, you know, cost over somebody else. But I just remember bowel duct cancer is easy way to play. Bowel duct. Down. And she goes, it's a real cancer. You don't see too many uh, things like this. She goes, so I'm going to recommend it. You know, we get you to Dr. Warner. I don't know who's the surgeon at Emily. And so they went through a tour board and all this stuff. But in between that time, yeah, it was toilet cancer. I got called by uh, Gabe Vasquez. And Lynn Walgreens said, you need to get down to Beach Wilds. And I said, I can't come to this year. They said, no, you need to get down there. They give him Bruce the above and beyond award, and you need to speak. You, you know Bruce better than anybody. And I said, guys, I really can't. And Blake goes, no, you need to come down. So 
I went down when I got up to give the speech about Bruce and stuff like that. I basically, everything hit me, emotions hit me at once. Seen some family moves with the kids, but see what Bruce, now he's deteriorated like, yeah, stuff. I do barely speak. And I remember Taylor Shelfield coming up and standing next to me. And I, and I got it out and told me, oh, Bruce would really buy this and stuff. But that sort of kind of really hit me. I mean, it was hard. And so I got home and I took the jacket over to Bruce. And Taylor was there. He was in bed. And just 10 days before he died. And he could barely speak. We sat there and talked. And this is, this is where he kind of put a curse on me. Okay. He looked to me and, you know, first of all, it's the first time he ever said he loved me. You know, Bruce was a man's man, superstar recipient, recon ranger in the army. I like that. And he looked at me and he goes, love you, brother, and said, love you too, brother. Hold his hand. And um, I gave the jacket. He was like that. And he looked at me he goes, you got to keep it going. And I said, well, I'm going to fight this. And he goes, no, you got to keep the bad apples for me. And I went, oh, no. That's not everybody. I thought, oh, no. I thought, okay, I was out. You just go through a life, but still. And he goes, we've got to keep it boring. I said, I'll do my best. As I'm walking out, it took all his effort. But, you know, my call sign and branch manager, everybody just called me branch. I think it's because of flowered branch. Bill always says, because first time I blew after tree, I was with Bruce and I go into some trees, some point branch. As I'm walking out, I hear this voice. And I like to say, he could barely speak and stuff. And Terry, his wife, was sitting in bed. And he goes, pretty branch. I turn around, he's fine, he's me a thumbs up. And that's my last image in Bruce. So when I, when I went down to Emory to get the results, the um, surgeon who was supposed to be one of the best, came in, and so I was sitting there with the nurse, and he sat down, he goes, okay, we put this for the two aboard, and uh, there's no cue, there's no hope, it's located, we can't do anything. He goes, and he looks at his watch, and he goes, and I'm going to walk the Appalachian Trail uh, for the next three weeks, and if you're still here, he goes, I'll make you comfortable. He goes, but you need to go and get your first order right now. Hmm. And he walked out. Well, Sue was, you know, really upset. And so the nurse with us, so I walked out in the hallway, and I sat in the chair, and on a bench, and I was at peace. I'm um, seriously, I was at, this me, how many years ago? Over seven, over seven years ago. Are you still getting your affairs in order? I mean, it's seven years. I'll take care of like, for, 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 it's a couple stories of that, but I was at peace. And when I tell people this, and they kind of look at me in the, and you know, I, I am, I'm, 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 I believe in Jesus Christ and my Savior and God. So with that, I sat on the bench and I only said one small prim. I said, God, always been with you, always will be, please take care of my family. That was my prim. That was it. On the way home from down to the VA, you know, it's kind of a dead silence. I'm trying to, my thought is, what do I got to do to make sure Sue's okay, the kid's okay? I, I got a little hunting. I got three or four weeks because he's told me this how fast he goes home. And Sue's always being quiet. And I heard a voice, if allows to be clear as a bell, said, VA rep, VA rep, VA rep, three thing, three of the uh, state times. I looked at Sue and I said, What about the VA rep this year? I didn't say anything. And the radio wasn't on, so they said, We need to go see the VA rep. So we got home, I made a point with Monday to go see the a lady named Cindy. With then this wife found out the VA rep that walked to the VA, they walked to the veterans. And she was out and find uh, a former army senior pilot. And talked about another rough old bird. And I told her, I said, you know, this is what's going on this way. 
this doctor said, I'm on my bed. She goes, Tim, no matter what happens, I will never leave Sue's side until I make sure that she's taken care of and all that. I said, Sina can. She got him and gave me a hug. And she sat me down. She goes, okay, let's do some paperwork. And she asked me the same thing that Dr. Weiner asked me. He said, where does yours do you have? And I said, well, we got TRICARE. He said, well, we don't do transplants here. And you know, it wouldn't be a recipient for you. Anyway, you'd have to go to Wisconsin to get it done at the VA hospital there. So I, well, when I say all this, she goes, no, what do you have? And I said, TRICARE. She goes, which one? And I looked at search here standard. Cindy dropped a pen. She goes, honey, you can go anywhere you want. So quick, get the F away from the VA. And uh, so I called Cancer Treatment Centers of America and MD Anderson, and they both accepted me. But Cancer Treatment Centers of America was the first one to call me back, and there's an army guy on the other end to walk on, and we got to talk, and he goes, I think there's a right choice. Truth says this, why am I the truth? Because we can hear from uh, MD Anderson. And I looked back from MD Anderson, and I, they said, we want to see you next week. And I said, okay, is he here at Piedmont? Because they're an MD Anderson affiliate. They said, no, 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 you're coming to Houston. Mm-hmm. So I called with Ken Street Mercedes over. I made it back to the other dog, choosing the Anderson. The guy that was on following said it was uh, on me. He goes, can you hold a second? I heard the click. He goes, I just turned the, uh, the cord off. He recorded on this. He goes, look, he goes, I love Ken Street Mercedes in America. He goes, they do great work. He goes, but if it was me, I'm going to MD Anderson. And he goes, you made a white choice. And everybody kept telling me, I said, well, we get down there. Um, I meet Dr. Chan, great lady. And Sue made a mistake and said, you're Korean. And she goes, no, I'm American. I was born in America. I was raised in America. I went to school in America. Do I sound Korean to you? And I'm looking at Dr. Chan, and I go, Dr. Chan, I, I don't leave. And she started laughing. And she goes, oh, I love doing that to people. I said, oh, my gosh, she got to sense you. I love her. Mm-hmm. So... I told her, I said, well, Dr. Weiner, oh, Dr. Weiner said to say hi. I should have said this angry. I said, the doctor, Emily, uh, said to say hi. And she goes, who? And I told her, she goes, who's that? And I said, we said he knows you. She goes, I don't know him. On the ship to Houston, he called us. I said, I understand you're going to Houston. Tim the Anderson. I said, yeah. And he goes, well, your insurance will allow that. I said, he goes, well, we could do it here if your insurance allows it. I said, wait a minute. This is all about the insurance for you. And so I just threw up on her. So I was talking to Dr. China, and I said, this is what they said. They said, it's no hope. And she was probably about eight feet away from me. She scooted and got right in my face. And she said, this is not the enemy. This is not the VA. This is in the answer. I got this. And I went, oh, great. I had to go to see another lady to see if I was strong enough for the surgery. Mm-hmm. And like, she, unfortunately, for my brother Bob, it's time to do what's strong enough, so you have to get built up to be strong enough for it. So to boot time for that's why, you know, uh, it, it progressed a lot faster with them. But and just to tell you what, like, Dr. Chun is like, you know, what she said is, she goes, I got this. The lady that clears you to go to see if you can do the surgery is, doesn't do anything with so she's She admitted what she's on, clearly. She goes, well, let's see doing surgery. I said, well, Dr. Chun, she goes, oh, you don't know how fortunate you are. And then she goes, oh, my God. I said, well, she goes, you got Dr. Boucher with her. And I said, yes, she goes, honey, these are the two leading surgeons in the world they teach us. But, you know, doing this, they're operating you at the same time. She goes, I kind of see this. Mm. She goes, someone's looking out for us at God. And she goes, well, whoever is God, 
So when I was on the operating table for 12 and a half hours, stayed there for uh, 30 days to recovery, and which goes into another thing. While I'm still at recovery, I get a call from Nick LaBeouf. And this is going to lead into something about PPJ. And he goes, I think I overstepped my bounds. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, we're door flying. I said, oh, great, we're going to flying. Which one are we going to? And he goes, no, no, I think I committed this up to a flying. I said, no, 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 we, bad apples don't do flying. We're door flying. It's too much damn work. And he goes, well, it's with Mac Hodges. I said, I know Mac Hodges. I'll take care of it. So I called Mac because I came down there like that. I said, Mac, just Tim, go, Tim, thank you so much. He goes, I've spent this, I've done this, I got this going, I got all these people lined up. I've done all this, I got the pamphlets out. Uh, okay, we'll do it one time. One time. One time. This was in 17, was the first yeah, year? Yeah. yeah. So that's how we started uh, Bad Apple Flying. Okay. okay. Well, we made a decision to, uh, as, a, as a group, the Bad Apples, it was never going to be about money. First of all, we're not a club, you know that, right? You know, just a bunch of guys, loose guys that hang around. That people call them bad apples. You have no pressure, we have no treasury like that. So there's no reason to keep in mind. We don't pay any dues, anything. So um, I came and talked to a couple of guys. I said, What do you think that anything that we raise would give back to charity? Every one of them, I'm going to say, except for one, said, No, we want to keep in mind. I said, No, we don't. What are we used for? You know what we're all talking about? I said, No, we're going to give it to charity. Well, I, I love this sport so much. I really do. It meant so much to me. And the people I've met, I want to give back. You know, I said, so let's do that. And that's how we started it. So after, you know, after we pay all the bills, which amazed how much it takes to put our flying. After we pay the bills, everything we make goes to charity. And it's not bad output. It's the PPG community that show up to support us. And so those are the guys in need of thanks that do this. We're giving to last, last year we give to Aurora PPG with Susan. Uh, skinny Chef Shane, who does scholarships with his his son, his son's name, and he sent me two pictures of the of students started received scholarships, yeah. and that. So we know we're doing good, but it's going back to the community and help our whole community. And I'd rather see that than us blowing on a party. Okay. Yeah. So circling, I'm gonna circle back. Yeah. To finding out the news. Oh, okay. And since then, you've had a lot of treatments. How, the, I guess the most important thing, how have you maintained your positive attitude and how someone now finding out that they have cancer, what, what advice do you give them to push through this extremely challenging and horrific time? Okay. Um, first thing I tell you is stay positive because you never know what tomorrow's going to pray. Okay. Um, I, like I said, I was told to go home and die. And just a real quick thing at this I got to go do what, what the all males hate. We got to go get the body man looked at, okay? And the doctor I saw six years ago, again, worked in Indiana, sir. And, but he, he does this now, and rides up, up in Friday, Friday branch. And he looked at this, and he found out the cancer he had. He goes, oh, okay. I went back to him, well, I called him last week. No, I went back and saw him last week to prepare for this. And he looked at me, he goes, Mr. Gass, says he goes, you're still here. I said, well, he goes, you shouldn't be. He goes, I have a life space. is two months to two years to max. I said, no, my, my brother died at two years. And he goes, but you're still here. I said, yeah. He goes, how? And I said, it's real easy. God, family, and friends. 
And he said, he said, well, what do you mean? I said, God, family, friends, what else do you need? I said, that's what is positive for me. I said, my friends, all you've been doing stuff. I said, I look at life as every day is a blessing. And I'm not give, I'm not going to give up. I mean, I, I leave it in God's hands. And, and, and he says, so when I tell people, God, be maintain positive because they're making such advances in this every day. Like right now, you're on, I'm, the, the cancer was gone after he did the surgery. They did what they call a resection. And I will never be able to get a liver transplant because of the type of surgery. So I'm done with what they give me. They come up with new medicine and stuff like that. The one now is when they found out the old, when cancer came back after six and a half years, they started doing the chemo and they started with the British stop. So they put me on this new stuff. And I have to wear a pump for two days and puts in a little small and it's working. My blood numbers been really good. The doctors, like Dr. McDonald, they said, you know, or Dr. McDonald goes, yeah, you, you're something else. And he goes, I'm looking in numbers, the positive Matter of fact, he came in to me one day, he was so excited about the results of what he was seeing. He didn't even wait to see what the blood work was. He came in and he was smiling, because usually when you go down to the infusion to get the, the treatment, you go in the nurse to see you, they put all the blood, they go to the lab, and they analyzing blood, and then the doctor will come in after eating that and tell you what's going on to see if you still continue treatment. Well, the nurses, they all know to call me Tim down there. I do have much to work out and share with you on this. So they, she went in and she goes, okay, Tim, she goes, you have Dr. Lemire, but will be here probably about half an hour. I said, okay, as soon as that door shut, he walks in. He's got a big smile on his face. He looks me and goes, I got to tell you one thing first. And I said, okay, and I'm thinking, oh, listen, walk in. And he goes, you're the most positive guy I've ever met in my life. And I said, well, thank him. And he goes, no, you really are the most positive guy I've ever met in my life. And so Kate goes, if you see results, go ahead and pet scan and see. Well, no, we're just, I'm with me to tell me, he goes, the, the lesions, that they call them lesions, that, oh, something else down, not two of us, but two of us on. They did the usual surgery up the score. They're gone. The other little spots that were on your liver's gone. There's only the one, uh, bigger one that's kind of blocking the bowel duct. And that's why I got it with the bag on the stuff. He goes, that's not only shrinking, but it's inactive. And I said, oh, great. He goes, so this is working. And uh, so that was eight, nine months ago. So I've been doing this pump for that. So you can go every two weeks and they do it and all that stuff. But you pretty much go behind your veins and do it. You know, Tim, I remember a while back you told me a story about how you were uh, at the infusion center and uh, something about you looked up and saw some buzzards in the window and had a real bad feeling. Do you remember that story? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was at the infusion center just, just to let you guys know. I don't sit around. You go into this, like, all these big chairs and um, you know, they're separated by about six feet. And it's a lot of people in there. And they all, all I do will come in and they just, I want to, I got to tell you about one nurse on this. It's very important to me. She meets so much to me. Just remember nurse Robin. And I'll tell you something. I was sitting there. The nurse came in. They all know to call me Tim. So I'm just guess it's Tim now. Can I told her, I said, you've done things to me in big places in my body. That my wife hasn't. So I think we're on a personal level now. You call me Tim. The nurse came in and said, Tim, we need to put another bag on you. I said, okay. So I went back and just got in the chair so I could put a bag on. You know, I was sitting there where I'm on the seventh floor. It's got a ledge. On the outside, with this, there's a big, huge glass window that surrounds the building, so you can look out over the city. This buzzard lands right in front of me on the lid, 
and it's looking at me. And I looked, I said, I ain't ready, buddy. You better get some help. As soon as I said it, another one lands, and now they're both looking at me. I, I like practical jokes, you know that. So I sat and I stood up, and I said, I ain't ready. I said, and you're looking for a Democrat. Go find a Democrat. You damn buzzards got to waddle down three chairs and sat in front of this lady. And she gets up, she goes, how could you do this to me? How could you do this? You sit on down here and let me yell at me. And I went, I didn't know you were a Democrat. They had no to look at me. And she stamped up with She goes, Tim? She goes, Tim? I said, yes. She goes, go get in the corner. Go get in the corner. So I had to sit in the corner about three times down there. But I just, real quick, I just need to tell you about this one. God's put angels on this earth. And one of them I met is Robin. And when I first was at the Empyrean I approached time, um, this done COVID, you couldn't bring family members in and stuff. But this lady came in, she was still late. Late 80s, and very scared, but her husband over there, he walked in, he sat in the chair, and then he kissed her on the forehead, and he had to walk out. And she was kind of crying and shaking. And I, now, this nurse would not take care of me. She was taking care of the patients. I had still greet those kids, you know, that one. But I watched her, and she walked over to this lady. Within three minutes, she had her smiling and laughing like that. But she did this to every patient she really went. So I, and I was there for six hours, so I was almost eight hours. So when I finished, I got up and I was walking by. I said, I got to tell her something. So I tapped on her shoulder, and she told me, and I said, can I ask you your name? And she goes, I'm little SWAT Robin. And I said, well, little Robin, you, I, wouldn't, I didn't have me say something, but can I tell you something? I said, I've been watching me tell you. She said, do you have a secret power? She goes, what is that? I said, you bring hope, joy, and love to your people. And I said, I've watched you with every one of your patients. And they could be crying, and when they're laughing, they could be with hope and love and joy in their hearts. And I said, that's what you think the power is. And so she gave me the argument. But that's it. So two weeks later, I come back to the infusion center. I'm sitting in front of Dustin. The lady goes up the main one. I said, Gas goes. And at the very back of the room, and it's a big room, I hear this. He's crying. He's lying. He's fine. It was Robin. Yeah. We've been friends ever since. We text once a week to see how we're doing. She just got engaged, so I asked her for her boyfriend's number. Got the boyfriend's number, and I'm going to tell him if he messes and stuff. I'll be his worst nightmare. She is absolutely a wonderful, wonderful person, and she treats everybody like this. And her, her dream was to deal with the little babies, the Mickey's, what they call them? Mickey's. Freeborn. Yeah. She got accepted. That's where she is now. And I, I told her, down in the window, I told her, I said, I went down and said, those little babies have an angel watched over them now. But, you know, you know she's amazing. And so, you know, if you, if you open up, I call them God Weeks. If you open up, you'll see God Weeks. And, and that's one of them right there. But can I get one thing to PPG? Okay. I know we know it because this is a PPG thing. Bruce Heron got me into PPG. I, I, I can hang gliding, fixed wing, jumped out of the put wheel there playing. I don't know why. But I was, I was, Driving by, and he looked at my neighborhood, I was driving by, and I saw this butt van, and I saw it, and um, I met Bruce, and I said, what is that? He goes, oh, that's a PPG. I said, PPG. And he told me about it. I said, man, I got to do that. So, but a week later, I'm, and I'm just running over my AC business. I'm in up the job. I'm at the stop sign. I'm looking at the map, the real map, where we had to go. And I hear this, Tim, Tim. And I'm looking around, I can he goes, up here, and I stick my head up my van. And he's floating above me, getting ready to land in the Fury Cross Street. 
And I went, oh, my God, I got to do this. So I met up with him, and he went up with me to North Carolina to Chris Bowles. I saw these guys. I trained up there and been with it ever since. And one of the biggest joys of my life, absolutely a joy of my life. I mean, big thing is, we did, I went to my first flying in, I had to fly. We had to fly. Went to my second flying in, had to fly, but now I wanted to kind of meet the people. Third flying in, I wanted to meet the people and be more, any one of my friends if I flew, it was great. And that's how I look at it. I go to fly in to see my friends, meeting people, stuff like that. If I fly, it's great. But so, but that's PPG. That's, it's, it's a joy of my life. And I think that's, that's the other thing that's keeping me going. Um, I had someone tell me, he said, you need to slow down. I said, that's the worst thing you could tell me to do. And I'm not slowing down, but I think this is, to be honest with you, I think this is where part of things keep me alive. Yeah. So, all right, that's it, Mike. Well, I'll tell you, if uh, if there's anybody that brings hope, joy, and love to other people, it's you. And if God does put angels on this planet, you are definitely one of them. I'm honored and I'm blessed to call you a friend and I'm yep. so glad you did this podcast and shared a little bit more of your story. I, I, we're probably about an hour and a half in and we could probably go another 10 hours if we just kept listening to stories and stories. So, But hey, just remember one thing, guys. And I told my dad told me this. You can shake a lot of hands. You only have friends for a while. So and you want to make sure they bring your friends. He says, give me a friend a hug. Okay, it means I have a lot more than a handshake. Yeah. So when I see my friends, if I hug you, doesn't mean anything special. It's going to go on. You're not going to get lucky that night with me. But it just means hey, I care about you. I love you. You're my friend. Yeah. You keep your friends close and you, you, you help your friends. Yeah. Awesome. That's it, buddy. Great. Thank you so much. Next week, we've got your niece, Sandy, is going to be on. She's going to be talking about a parallel story. Um, probably talking more about her life and, and her dad, your brother, Bob, and and uh, watching him go through cancer and, and, and all that. But Sandy is one of the most positive people on the planet, and she has got an attitude of gratitude. And so she'll be here to teach us about that, too. It's what they, when you see Sandy. Sandy is my brother, me and Clonator. Okay? He is. I call I said, you are definitely bopped, Chet. So, yeah, I mean, when I see her, I see my brother. Yeah. So, you know, he's never left me. He's always in some of those. Well, what's not? not? Not being a twin. I said, no, I'm still a twin. I'm still, I talk to him every day. Um, I feel his presence every day. So, no, he's, he's still there. All right. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Please make sure if you haven't already hit the follow button that you do so. Hit the bell so that you can be notified every episode when it comes out. It's always going to be at 7 o'clock on Monday mornings. And then give us a rating. You know, let us know. Uh, how you enjoyed this uh, conversation with Tim. It's uh, appreciated. It also helps to spread the word about Beyond the Summit. So we will see you next week on Beyond the Summit. Thanks and have a great week. everyone, this is David. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, please go ahead and give this episode a five-star rating. Also, leave a review or any questions you might have for the guests, and I'll make sure they get it. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week on Beyond the Summit.